On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. Nearly gave Cider a shave in front. Kept in by Matthews. Here it is. Scores! There's a new member of the 60-goal club. And Austin Matthews is the first leap ever to go 0-60 to in a single season. Hi, aren't you that guy everybody hates? No, man, no. This is Tall Can Audio. Follow along on Twitter at TallCan Audio or at Facebook.com slash TallCan Audio. Just do it! How's it going, everybody? Matt Robinson with you in our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Just throwing down a little bit of a bonus show, a little extra show. Just a couple things we wanted to, uh, to get through here uh, midweek before, uh, before we move on to everything else that we got coming up here. And we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. We'd love it if you guys followed along there. We'd like to hear uh, what you guys have to say about uh, everything going on on the show and things we're talking about online. I'd uh, uh, love to hear from you guys there, so uh, make sure you give us a follow if you haven't had a chance yet. If this is the first time you're checking out the uh, the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Give us a follow there on your podcast app, whether you're at uh, on Spotify or Google Pods, Apple Podcasts. Uh, Hoffley was in here the other day. He said he likes Overcast. It's a pretty good little app as well. Wherever you are right now, just make sure you're giving uh, Tall Can Audio a follow. Uh, some good stuff to come here this weekend on this episode as well. It's just me with you here today. And, you know, we've had a couple guests in. The show's been a little bit different than uh, than what we've done here over the last little while. So I uh, just wanted to touch on a couple of little news bits that maybe we hadn't gotten to here uh, with some of the guests that we've had on over the last little bit. Uh, before we do, should mention that uh, we got a guest coming in this week. You can look for Thursday morning. Vanessa Sanchez will be here. We were going to do that last week, if you recall, those of you who have, uh, have been hanging around here for a bit. And uh, Vanessa is currently the co-host of She's Got Game on the TSN radio network, along with uh, our pal Michaela Schreider. Uh, Vanessa co-hosts that show with Michaela. And uh, we were going to have her in last week, but uh, something came up and uh, we weren't able to get that done. So we pushed it back a week. Vanessa will be here on Thursday morning. That should be episode 961, I believe. So that'll be uh, that'll be fun as well. Also want to mention uh, back on episode maybe 951. Uh, it doesn't really matter. I'll, we'll post the link here. Uh, we had Michael Barclay on the show, if you recall, and uh, he has written a book that is available now. At the time, see, he was just promoting it. It wasn't out yet. Now, it's out. Uh, that book is called Hearts on Fire, Six Years That Changed Canadian Music, 2000 to 2005. Uh, received my copy here. Looking forward to cracking that open. That is available now. And uh, just thought I would bring that up in case 
you know, sometimes I meant to pre-order that. I didn't quite get around to it. Uh, if you're looking to pick that up, highly recommend it. Uh, I had a chance to flip through it before the interview. He sent me a copy, um, what they call like a pre-release basically, so that, uh, maybe it helps you, you know, come up with a couple of questions before your interview. Uh, now I have the official thing that I have ordered for myself here and, uh, looking forward to, to getting going on that. We will put the links to that in the comment section Uh, when we tweet out this episode of the show, as well as in the show notes themselves, uh, wherever you're listening to this, uh, there's a show description. And uh, towards the bottom, we always put in links to things we've been talking about uh, for people who want to check that out. If you click on the link and buy it through those links, Tall Can Audio gets a little bit of a kickback on your purchase. Costs you the exact same amount it was always going to, but Amazon pushes a little bit our way for pushing you their way. So if you want to support the show and you're thinking about checking out the book anyway, it's not a bad way to do it. Just click on the links in the uh, in the show notes here at tallcanaudio.com or on your podcast app. So uh, that's Hearts on Fire, Six Years That Changed Canadian Music, 2000 to 2005 by Michael Barclay. Available now. Just wanted to pimp that one more time for him as he was very good to us. Uh, we want to talk about the Leafs here in a minute. We want to talk about the Blue Jays here in a little minute. A little minute. Most minutes. About the same size, I guess. I uh, want to talk about Vegas. want to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. Lots of things that uh, we haven't had a chance to get to yet. Before we do, I did want to comment briefly because I've actually been asked a time or two. Not a lot. Most of you uh, seem to be pretty chill on this so far, but not everybody. And um, yes, the show for now will remain on Twitter and, uh, it is bought by, uh, or it looks like it's a, it's been purchased by Elon Musk, which is not a positive turn of events in my opinion. Um, I guess we're going to be subjected once again to his perverse definition of free speech. Um, despite the fact it doesn't appear to really know what that means. Uh, it's a weird thing to do $45 billion to, to buy Twitter. Um, I don't know. I don't like it. I'm not happy about it. I'm seeing a lot of people posting, well, that's it. I'm out of here. I won't be on here. Uh, I'm taking more of a wait and see attitude. Um, I do fully expect that it will once again be allowed to be flooded with all the same bullshit that they had started to crack down on the COVID denying and the election was rigged and, you know, just being like, this is his definition of free speech is you can literally just say whatever you want and to hell with the consequences. And that is not a sane person's definition of free speech, uh, but it does appear to be his. And so we'll see. Does it get overrun? Uh, What kind of other changes does he make? He's also at other points in his career proven to be quite impotent at making any kind of significant change in companies that he invests in. So that's also a possibility. Maybe this isn't uh, or doesn't end up being exactly what he wants it to be. So I'm not going to jump up and down and no TCA is leaving Twitter. Um, for now, we're going to wait it out. We're going to see what happens, see if this even goes through. Uh, I'm surprised more people haven't been willing to do that. There are always people who say uh, about anything, never buying a ticket again, never watching your channel again, never, about anything that they don't like online. And most of them end up right back there the next fucking week. Um, but we'll see, right, on this front. Uh, if it does become just a gross place to be, then yeah, we may have to consider leaving uh, leaving Twitter. Uh, for now, that is not in the plans. Uh, we're going to just play this out, see what happens, um, and, and just see where it goes. I think that is a more rational approach than 
than just going, screw this, I'm out. Uh, half of the things that you do in your day-to-day life is probably supporting a gross billionaire and you're not even aware of it at the time. That's just the world we live in right now. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see what happens here. No promises that we're staying, but certainly no commitments that we're leaving either. I think at this point, you just kind of see what happens and, uh, and we'll go from there. Uh, I did see Bruce Arthur put it, uh, quite nicely to sum up this man who has now purchased Twitter. There's a lot of things you can say about him. Um, and like I said, this isn't a good development. I don't believe it's going to be good for the, the public discourse or for Twitter itself or for the average user to have Elon Musk in charge of this thing. But I think we'll, we'll play it out and see. But, uh, uh, Bruce Arthur described it this way. Twitter being bought by a thin skinned pro COVID Bitcoin pumping convoy praising shit posting weirdo who's currently under federal investigation whose big moment on here was calling a Thai cave diver a pedo because he objected to weirdos bullshit. Well, it's all a little too on the nose. And there's a lot to unpack there, but those are some of Elon Musk's uh, Twitter highlights. Called Trudeau, uh, basically compared him to Hitler during the uh, the uh, the convoy here. Uh, yeah, the Thai pedo thing, if that's not ringing a bell for you, if you recall several years ago, those, uh, those kids in Thailand who got stuck in a cave and, um, you know, it flooded and they were trying to figure out how they were going to get them out. And, you know, there was a, a, a guy who said he could dive and kind of bring them out one by one. Remember, this was a huge operation uh, to try and get these kids out of there. And meanwhile, Elon Musk said he can build like a tiny submarine and I don't know how long any of that was going to take. And when the Thai diver said, you know, he does his thing, I'll, I'm doing my thing, it's, I'm here now, I'm ready to go. He fucking lost his mind. Elon Musk didn't basically called this guy a pedophile like because he was so anxious to get to the kids was the accusation. It was insane. Uh, that's the new owner of Twitter. Uh, and frankly, I've shit talked Twitter for a very long time uh, about not being a great place to be. That hasn't stopped me from being there. I spend way too much time there. Uh, but no, I don't think this is a, a good thing for anybody. But we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I know many of you have noticed... Uh, I wouldn't call it a shortage of leaf talk, but it's been different leaf talk on here uh, as some of our most most recent guests and our next one uh, will not be and have not been uh, particularly big fans of Toronto. And that's okay. Sometimes you can get some objectivity that way. But I think what you're hearing a lot of is is uh, is people who will be happy to see the Leafs go down and are fully expecting it. And that's very much on the table. It's a tough division. And uh, they may win, they may lose, we'll see. Uh, but uh, I thought we would talk a little bit of Leafs here without the uh, the snarky condescension kind of against it and the, the, the glimmer in their eye every time there's a bit of talk about maybe things won't go perfectly for the Leafs. We'll do it here without the snarky Sens fan in our, uh, in our midst. Just you and me, good listener. It's been a good stretch for your Maple Leafs, honestly. Uh, as we sit here right now, they just finished clinching home ice. Jack Campbell gets a shutout and Austin Matthews hits 60 goals. So Leafs in a good place. And I, I wasn't going to bother pulling the, the curtain back. I, I do this sometimes, guys, through the magic of technology. The rest of this show, uh, all the baseball talk, all the talk that's coming up about a couple other NHL teams, uh, I recorded that on Tuesday afternoon. And uh, the Leaf talk that you're getting right now is Tuesday night. And I can drop that into the middle of the show. Um, and that's only relevant 
to say that uh, honestly, in a slightly better mood right now, as uh, as we sit here and talk about this part that maybe I was before. And honestly, the Leafs haven't done anything wrong. They've been really good in the last little while. I know it doesn't get framed that way all the time, but everything I just said is something that just happened. They clinched home ice in the toughest division in the league. Austin Matthews has scored 60 goals in 72 games. It's incredible. And Jack Campbell gets himself a shutout. Why don't we start with Campbell for a second? Because, look, the Leafs don't need Jack Campbell to be a a top three goalie in the league. They have shown all year with Morazic doing what he was doing and Shalgren being just sort of okay and Campbell struggling through everything and the Leafs still setting a record for points in a season in a 100-year-old franchise. Um, they don't need top-end goaltending. They just need goaltending that's not going to kill them. And since Campbell's been back, I think, and I could be wrong, so I, like, I'm not married to this. It's not the, 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 the key element of what I'm trying to say, he's either 7-0-2 or maybe 7-1-2 since he got back. He has not lost more than one game in regulation since he returned from injury. But if I'm being honest, um, there was almost always like one goal a night that was just like, uh, sort of like it was before. And, and they were never these backbreakers because the team's been playing so good. I think they're like... I don't know, 11, one and three or something, uh, 11, two and two over there. Like the team is really hot. And so it hasn't been costing them. So people haven't been focusing on it, but they're just sort of seem to always be one where you were just sort of like late in the game and maybe you were up by two or three and you'd give up one. And now you're defending late when you didn't have to. And it was just, I wasn't as sold. Right. And like I said, they were never backbreakers, but you were always just like, I wish that hadn't gone in. And so the Detroit team that the Leafs played on Tuesday night is not a good team. And this already not very good Detroit team didn't have Dylan Larkin, didn't have Tyler Bertuzzi, didn't have Robbie Fabry. Uh, So it's not like this was some offensive powerhouse coming in and Campbell was spectacular. In fact, uh, I think over halfway through the third period, Detroit didn't have a shot on goal um, in that period. So Campbell wasn't tested, but you just want to see these little things, right? You just want to see these shutouts land. And when it should be a shutout, it ends up being a shutout. And uh, so that was cool to see. Let's talk about Austin Matthews for a second. Um, Look, he has had an unbelievable season, no matter which way you slice it. When you think about the the wrist injury and surgery over the offseason, he misses the first three games of the year and then he comes back and you can tell he's just not quite ready yet. He's not quite the same, so he's not scoring a lot there. Um, After this most recent injury, they haven't told us what that was, Uh, but he had gone goalless in six, which again, you're kind of like, not loving that. Don't know what that means. Don't know what that's all about, Uh, but he goes off for two and uh, they get him to 60. Honestly, it looked for a while now like they were pressing too much, and even on the games where it looked less like that, it still looked like that. And early in tonight's game, he's shooting all the time. And on the Leafs' first power play, you can tell they're trying to push everything in his direction. And I get it. You want to help get him there. But obviously, Detroit knows that too. There's a couple of rushes where he comes in 
and Nedeljkovic doesn't even move. Like, he knows there's no chance Matthew's going to pass this. He's going to shoot it. Um, and again, I'm not annoyed by it. I'm not disappointed by it. But it was just kind of like, okay, 60's out of the way now. We know we got there. There's only one game left. Like, it, it won't even bug me if they decide now to rest him in that last game. Although, after missing a few with injuries, maybe he wants to play and, and kind of keep getting back in that rhythm. But that desire to, like, let's get him to 60 is gone. And hopefully things will look a little bit more natural now. But it's incredible. Um, I believe the broadcast said he's only the sixth guy in the last 30 years to hit 60. And the fact that he's done it in just 72 games is absolutely uh, unreal. And I, look, I don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. But don't get sucked into this bullshit that you're friends who don't like the Leafs or certain members of the media are pushing around or whatever that they just talk for you and don't let them do that in that like uh, Leaf fans aren't enjoying this they're just you know the playoffs loom and something horrible is gonna happen it always does fuck that this guy just scored 60 goals in a season you've never seen that in blue and white in your lifetime enjoy it have fun with it because you may never see it again. Like Austin Matthews, even if he remains a dominant center for the Leafs for a very long time, he may never hit 60 again. It's incredibly difficult. So yeah, enjoy it. Like I said, the, the, the Leafs have just clinched, a, or in the last week or so, have set a, a franchise record for points in a season. Just tonight, they won uh, here on Tuesday night. Their 30th home game out of 40 so far. That is a franchise record. They have one home game remaining on Friday against Boston. Uh, so they may add to that or they may not. But it's already a franchise record. This team is incredible. This is as good of a Toronto Maple Leafs team as has been around in my lifetime. And it stinks that the division is such that you are going to face either the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions or the very good Boston Bruins. But that doesn't mean this Leaf team isn't fantastic. And there's just no reason to get bogged down in all the stories that are going to be told for the next week. We all know it hasn't gone well in the first round. That doesn't mean it won't go well this time. It doesn't mean it will go well this time. It's no different than any other game for any other team in any other sport. But people are going to want to tell you these stories. Rob said here a couple of days ago, and he will again, no doubt. Why does it feel like the wheels are always coming off for the Leafs? It doesn't to me. I see people saying it. I spend too much time on Twitter where other fans talk like that. There is one predominant Leaf podcast that is always talking like Doomsday is just around the corner. There are certain elements because it's good for clicks and ratings uh, of the sports media in the, the, the GTA that need to tell you why things aren't going very well. But you don't have to subject yourself to it. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to roll around in it like a pile of shit. This is the best Leaf team by points ever. Ever. No one is talking about that. How many times have you heard, well, what's Muzzin going to look like? Well, can you trust Jack Campbell? Well, who's going to play with me? 
power plays struggling over the last week. It is still the number one power play in the league. No one spent any time talking about the fact that you set a franchise record in points for a season. So you might beat Tampa. You might lose to Tampa. But don't get sucked into the bullshit that the big bad boogeyman is just waiting for you as soon as the playoffs start. And I kind of trailed off and ended up all over the place there, and that's sort of how these things go. You know, when I mentioned Rob, his question was, why does it feel like at the time they were 9-0-1? And, you know, that there's always something wrong. And I said, to me, it doesn't. And he corrected me in his mind and spoke what his opinion was more than anything else. Because all Leaf fans know something terrible is coming in the playoffs. No, they don't. A lot of Leaf fans suspect something bad is coming in the playoffs. But nobody knows something bad is coming in the playoffs. And those of us who are able to keep our heads on straight are able to go, hey, got a good game or a good series against Tampa coming in all likelihood. Could still be Boston, I believe, as I sit here right now. But it's very unlikely. It looks much more likely that it will be Tampa. You don't have to buy into the fact that there's calamity around the corner. That's a choice people make. You don't have to be a part of that. If you want to, if that somehow improves the experience for you, uh, then by all means. Um, But like you have seven or eight NHL defensemen right now. They don't know how many, like how to play them all. What's Muzzin going to look like? I don't know. He looked, he looked interesting Tuesday. Like it looked like he was really trying to engage in everything. Um, He was actually getting a, a lot of opportunities out high on the point, trying to get shots through. You could see him trying to initiate contact. Look, I think they're going to play him, but he was trying hard on Tuesday night to show, hey, I belong here, right? It looks like Sandine is very close to returning. Would one game on Friday be enough after all his time off to throw him into a playoff series? I doubt it, but that guy's going to be there, right? Like, he's he's close, you're talking about Liljegren, who, for my money, has absolutely earned his way into that game one starting lineup. You're talking about Labushkin. You're talking about Brody. Like, what is all, how's this all going to shake loose? Those aren't problems because you don't have enough guys. These are problems because you have too many NHL defensemen right now. When was the last time that was ever the case for the Toronto Maple Leafs? It's a strength. It's a positive. So... Look, I'm just not prepared to sit there and just assume it's going to go terribly. Sometimes you get beat by a better team, legit. That's happened before. But sometimes this team is the better team. And maybe never in my lifetime have they been as good as they are right now. Anybody talking about the fact that John Tavares point a game again? Anybody talking about the fact that William Nylander has now set career highs in goals and points? No, it's all, oh, I don't know if they can do this. Why? Because it plays into a narrative. It plays into, it's good for clicks. It's good for ratings. It's good for downloads. And look, I'm hurting my own show by doing this. If I could put a title on it, like top five reasons the Leafs are absolutely doomed. That shit gets downloads, gets clicks, but it's not real. So, look, it's going to be an interesting drive um, into the playoffs here. Maybe they'll win, maybe they'll lose. But no matter how much everyone else is trying to 
lay out this predetermined narrative or predetermined, um, you know, like everything's already all set in stone. This is bullshit. And uh, I hope you'll be one of those people who doesn't buy in. We will be in the minority. But uh, approach, like, this is going to be fun. Honestly, it is. When you talk about how people want to tell you the story, oh my God, the Leafs got absolutely fuck smashed last Thursday by the Tampa Bay Lightning. And they did. It was brutal. That was the end of the world. Leafs had shown they can't beat Tampa. What's, oh my God, they're doomed. Less than two weeks earlier, the Leafs go into Tampa and absolutely light up Vasilevsky. When that game 7-2, 6-2, whatever it was, they pounded Tampa that night. It's forgotten. No one came out saying, Leafs clearly the dominant team. Oh my God, Tampa's in trouble. That's not the story that we get told. And again, look, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I'm not saying people are out to get the Leafs. I'm telling you that half of our fan base is broken. Like just mentally broken. We have been beaten to death and I get it and I'm sympathetic to that. But what I'm also telling you is that Sportsnet and TSN and certain podcasts, certain publications have a vested interest in writing about the problems for the it's it's not dissimilar. We're going to talk about the Blue Jays here in a couple minutes. It's not dissimilar when a team is very good. You spend time talking about I don't know about that, you know, backup infield. I don't know about Kevin Biggio. Is he good enough to be your backup second baseman and corner outfielder? I don't know about that eighth guy in the bullpen. Is Julian Merriweather really there? And you don't talk about the fact that it doesn't matter because Vlad and Bo are going to beat the shit out of the baseball. You nitpick around the the bottom edges, right? And all the negatives and all the bad stuff. And that's where this team is right now. When you read these playoff previews, you'll spend very little time talking about Austin Matthews being a 60-goal guy, Mitch Marner being a 100-point guy, William Nylander's career highs in goals and, and points this year, the fact that Giordano looks like he's 29 again instead of 38, the fact that Jack Campbell is basically undefeated since he's been back from his injury. That stuff doesn't get talked about. You're going to hear about the stuff that isn't going to go well because that's, as human nature goes, what we click on, what we watch, what we listen to. It's not necessarily real. Tampa crushed us Thursday. We crushed Tampa two weeks before that. They're both relevant. They both matter. But you only talk about one. So this is going to be interesting. Like I said, uh, we'll we'll get into it more uh, once it's locked in. No doubt there'll be a couple bonus pods along the way. Maybe we'll talk to uh, to Maddie about maybe a couple late night post game shows. We'll see what that's going to look like. Uh, no promises on any of that, but. Uh, Just thought, you and me, one-on-one, let's talk about the Leafs uninterrupted, right? Without people who are wishing us harm here to, to throw their wet blanket on top of it. Get excited. This is a good team. Nothing is guaranteed to you. A loss is not guaranteed. A win is not guaranteed. Sit down and watch it like you used to. I say this all the time. I think I liked this sport better when I didn't know anything about it, when I was just an idiot kid who would sit down and whatever happens, happens. And now you get into this. Now I get into the stats and I'm online and I'm talking with other, you know, it's 
it's not as good. I, I was better off when I didn't know shit. And I've said that about the, the Canadian men's soccer team, right? I don't know anything about this. I don't know if what they're doing is a good or bad strategy. I don't know who the best and worst players are on any of these teams. I just sit back and, hey, look, we scored. Cool. I kind of wish that's how I still watched hockey. Um, and maybe there's something I can do to, to get back to that. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of weeks for the Leafs. It will, no doubt, coming up, be an interesting couple of weeks. And, uh, and we'll, of course, be keeping an eye on it. Uh, moving on to that, uh, Hoffley, as I said, was in on uh, on Sunday, not really a baseball guy, so we didn't get into the Blue Jays much, but I, I thought it was worth mentioning. I know Vanessa's not much of a, a Blue Jays fan either and doesn't follow baseball particularly closely, so I'm not sure we'll get into it much with her either. So I thought maybe right now we should touch on everything that's going on because, uh, you know, they're off to a really good start, 11-6. and six. They haven't lost a series yet, and that is without things going anywhere close to perfect, right? The the last saw we saw, actually the last two starts now, we've seen from Jose Barrios have been eerily similar and um, put that out on the the condemned Twitter that we talked about uh, earlier. Uh, during Barrios's last start on Monday, that it looked an awful lot like the start he'd had the week before, whereas he was getting hit around early on, right? He was getting hard contact and they were getting a little bit of luck, right? That that these weren't being smacked out of the the ballpark. They weren't falling in. Most of them were being caught or uh, were going foul uh, or being hit right at guys. And uh, we actually saw a fantastic play by George Springer showing, uh, you know, he's able to run it down out there in center field. Really nice grab there. But it's lucky stuff, right? Where uh, Tapia is over in foul territory in left field and he's got like a foot to spare off one that's been crushed out to to deep left and he catches it in foul territory if it's another foot or two to the left it hits the mesh and the guy gets another swing at it so there's been some good fortune there and again much like the start a week ago Brios is able to kind of get that out of his system without getting burned too badly uh and go six innings um you know or seven innings i guess and and get deep anyway rest the bullpen right and I think that's been hugely important because the Blue Jays' bullpen has been pretty solid for them. Uh, we did see Romano finally blow a save on uh, on Sunday. He's been used heavily because they have been in so many one-run games. But there has been some some good fortune in with this good play because you're still not looking at anywhere close to 100% for this team. Bo Bichette, despite that grand slam, is nowhere close to where you would typically expect him to be. I think he's still batting around 213 or 214 as we sit here right now. And so you fully expect that's going to get better, right? Jansen was hitting about as well as you could expect for a catcher before he goes down. So you've been without him. And all of a sudden, Zach Collins sort of learns how to hit at the same time that Alejandro Kirk learns how to catch. And so you haven't really missed him terribly yet. Teoscar Hernandez, your number four guy who's supposed to protect Vladdy a little bit, he goes down. And like, there's a million reasons here that you'd go, and that, you know, we haven't even touched on Kikuchi still trying to figure out what he is and, and Ryu being on, uh, on the IL. There's a million reasons that this could have gone sideways. And I don't mean like a disastrous kind of four and 12 start or whatever it might have been, but just not 
11 and 6 like they are right now, first in the division and and really giving themselves a nice little cushion here early uh, despite all these injuries. And it's been an impressive start. The only thing I think you can talk about, and you are hearing people talk a little bit more lately, is there's not really a ton of swing and miss down in that bullpen, right? A lot of your guys come in and they pitch to contact, whether it be a ground ball, whether it be a fly ball pitcher, and it's okay. But ideally, and we did see it in that Monday night game against Boston when Boston came back to tie it, you know, they bring in Simber and he's going to pitch to contact. And sometimes when you pitch to contact, it doesn't go perfectly, right? Sometimes it is going to drop in and it costs them a couple of runs and, and, and Bo comes out and he hits his grand slam in the next inning. And so you get to move along with, you know, no big deal, but you'd love to have had a flamethrower in there that you trusted to come in and kind of strike out the side in that particular instance, right? Obviously you'd always love someone to come in and strike out the side, but you'd send Barrios out to start the inning. He lets a couple guys get on. And now when you're pitching to contact, like Simber does, it's, it's more dangerous because you have guys on base. Whereas in that situation, a guy who can come in and strike out a couple and maybe leave those guys standing there would have been more desirable. So the bullpen they have has been really good. And actually, in terms of in it, it seems like we they have been used a ton, but they are right around 15th, 14th in the league, you know, middling or middle of the pack uh, in terms of number of innings that that bullpen has pitched. So no real reason for alarm there, right, in terms of them being overused. But just the types of guys that you have, I guess um, Romano would be the closest guy that you have to that, but you're kind of saving him for the ninth inning and he had pitched a couple days in a row. So he wasn't available there, uh, in this particular situation that we're talking about. It's pretty clear. They don't trust Julian Merriweather right now in that situation. And you've seen him crank it back up to 97, 98 here a little bit in his last couple appearances, but some of them right down the middle and, um, you know, anything you're getting out of that guy is a bonus. I don't know how long you can count on him staying healthy. Uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, you're just looking for a little more strikeout and and maybe that's what they'll go looking for before the deadline in terms of another arm for that bullpen is somebody who's going to strike guys out a little more than just, um, you know, come in and and pitch to a fly ball, pitch to a ground ball. When you have guys on base, you want someone who can come in and just put out the fire with a a strikeout, really shut the whole thing down instead of allowing the ball to be put in play and, and, you know, kind of risking things at that point. But otherwise, fascinating start for the Blue Jays, who sit here, yeah, at uh, a time of recording, 11 and 6, and um, not a bad run. Uh, got a couple small hockey things here I want to wrap up with. Um, and like I said, we won't let this one run too long. We got Vanessa Sanchez coming in on Thursday. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss out on that. Um, we'll touch on some of this stuff, uh, and we'll touch on some stuff with her. Uh, these are just little things I wanted to knock down before they became too out of date. Wanted to talk about some chicanery from the Winnipeg Jets in their social media feed. And on Sunday night, they post that uh, Kyle Connor is now the, uh, the leading, sing- uh, the single season goal scoring leader in, uh, in Winnipeg Jets history. And there's a graphic that goes up and there's kind of like this little bracket there or like this side mention. It's like, uh, by the way, since relocation. Well, what is that? They're, they're not tied to any other franchise, apparently. Like, they like to try and say that there's, you know, they, they like to own the history when it suits them. 
right? They like to be the original Jets when it makes it sound like this team has this long, rich history dating back to Timu Solani and Dale Howarchuk and, you know, these teams through the 80s that did battle with the big bad Oilers and um, things like that. They, they, they'll they sort of tie it to that and go, you know, screw Phoenix. And at other times, you know, they, they never really like to warm up with the fact that they are a same, like the same franchise that was the Atlanta Thrashers that moved from Atlanta to Winnipeg in 2011. And, um, you know, they don't like to embrace that as part of their history, but they are tied far more to that history than they are to the Coyotes history at this point, right? That's what your actual franchise history is. So I object to this, this idea that Kyle Connor is in any sense of the word, the leading goal scorer in, in Winnipeg Jets history. He scores his 45th. This is a thing about erasing Patrick Laine. That's what this is. Management and the media and the marketing teams there or whatever. They didn't like the way things ended with Patrick Laine. They didn't like the, the fact that he wanted to leave. They didn't like that they spent so much time chanting Laine's better at uh, Austin Matthews. Speaking of things that are also not based in reality. And only to have him depart. So with Kyle Connor's 45th goal of the season, uh, they say... He is the franchise's leading goal scorer. And then, yeah, you tuck it in in these tiny little brackets since relocation. Since relocation, in my opinion, is is not a thing. It's a mealy mouth thing to celebrate. And if you try and make everything special, nothing is special, right? If every little thing that happens is suddenly an accomplishment, then none of them are important. And so if you want to look at this particular iteration of the Winnipeg Jets that stem from the history of the Atlanta Thrashers. Uh, Ilya Kovalchuk scored over 50 goals twice, and uh, he is your franchise leader in uh, in goals scored per season. Uh, maybe you don't like that, right? Maybe that's not that's not cool. Maybe you want to keep it to the old days, the original Winnipeg Jets. Well. Winnipeg Jets had Timu Solani score 76 goals in the 92-93 season uh, before the team moved off to um, off to Phoenix. And in his first year in Phoenix with the Winnipeg Jets turned Phoenix Coyotes, even Keith Kachuk had an over 50 goal scored season. So there is no land where this guy scored more goals than any of those that like... There is no version of the franchise that exists where Kyle Connor at 45 goals holds any sort of record at all. Rob would love this. He's here painting down a Austin Matthews 50 and 50. Austin Matthews scored 51 goals in 50 games. That's not the right 50. I'm sure he would want to double down on this. Ilya Kovalchuk is the current franchise leader. Timu Solani is the old franchise leader. Kyle Connor is just a guy with 45 goals. The other thing I wanted to touch on here briefly before we get out of here is uh, is what's going on in Vegas. And actually, more specifically, some comments made by Timo Meyer of the uh, the San Jose Sharks before Sunday and after Sunday's game against the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, which all but ended. It wasn't the official ending, but all but ended the Vegas Golden Knights playoff hopes. 
And, uh, and, and so credit to the Sharks for getting that done. There is a rivalry there. Those teams, despite Vegas having only been in the league for a few years, uh, they have played in the playoffs a few times. It has gotten ugly between those teams before, and they have a good rivalry. And so I get it that the San Jose Sharks and the guys who've been there for a while probably took a lot of pleasure, as would their fans have, in, in putting a serious dent in the Vegas Golden Knights. And so I think that's legit. And quite frankly, if you're a fan of another team, I kind of get it, I guess. If you don't love Vegas, take Toronto, for example. We haven't won a cup in a bajillion years. Haven't had much playoff success in the last 20. And here comes Vegas. They get a team, and in the first year of existence, they go to the cup final. And even in the years afterwards, I believe there's another conference final run in the last year. They were in the conference final, if you want to call it that. It was weird, if you remember. They played Montreal in the third round, um, and Montreal beat them. But it was another deep playoff run. And so if you're a team like a, a fan of a team like Toronto, I get it. If you're, fuck these guys. I've been suffering forever. I kind of get that too. You know, any team that hasn't won a, a cup in a while and is seeing this other team come bursting in and suddenly having this easy success. Maybe you don't like that they have all this money to throw around. They do have a very rich owner. They have brought in some big names. Just last year, it was Alex Petrangelo. Uh, they've got Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty. They had Marc-Andre Fleury let him go to bring in Robin Leonard. This year, they bring in Jack Eichel. There are names there with big contracts. Maybe you don't like that uh, that they're stealing some of these big-name free agents. Maybe they've stolen one from your team. There are a lot of people who should hate the Vegas Golden Knights, or at least have reason to. The reason I bring all this up is Timo Meyer, after the game, Timo, of course, plays for the uh, San Jose Sharks, after the Sharks beat the Golden Knights, I believe it was on Sunday, he says, we got a lot of texts, we have buddies around the league who were all saying, beat those guys. We knew everyone, all the other players were cheering for us. And that's the part I really don't get. And maybe this is something to do with the fact that many NHL players do not even finish with a high school uh, education. Maybe. I don't understand as a player in the league what's to dislike about Vegas. Unless you are just incapable of seeing the big picture. Let's start with the fact that Vegas even exists. Created 20 more jobs, 25 more jobs in your union. So it's good for business, right? Maybe it's not on Vegas specifically. Vegas took a player from every team, which opened up another job on every other team. You know, they had to fill the guy that they lost to Vegas. They had to fill that spot with somebody. Maybe that spot is you. Maybe you wouldn't be in the league if Vegas didn't exist. Uh, Vegas exists in a great market. Great attendance. Tons of merchandise. Nice building. This is a team that is pouring money into the league. It's not another Florida Panthers. It's not another Carolina Hurricanes. It's not another Ottawa Senators. It's not a team that needs to be fed and kept alive. This is a healthy, thriving business that is helping raise the salary cap, which, by the way, is good for you as an NHL player. It's a team with a rich owner that is not afraid to hand out big money 
I mentioned the names a few minutes ago. Lots of big contracts on the Vegas Golden Knights. Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Jack Eichel, Alex Petrangelo, Robin Leonard. There are others. They're not afraid to pay. They are up against the cap. They're one of these LTIR teams, right? Every year. That isn't afraid to, to pay members of your union. They go for it every year. If you are a player on the Vegas Golden Knights, you know you have management and ownership that is committed to winning. They will spend money. They will go out and get the best players available. By all accounts, they treat players pretty well in the actual organization. I do understand that there have been some players who left Vegas who didn't like the way they were traded or uh, punted out the door. But while you are a member of the team, by all accounts, you are treated wonderfully. You will enjoy your time as a member of uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. What is your problem? Why are you cheering against them as NHL players? Now, maybe you're not. Maybe Timo Myers is full of shit because San Jose dislikes them so much that he wanted to twist the knife a little bit. But I don't know why you would then say that other guys around the league, and, and media picked up on this and covered it and said it's probably true. It's not like lots of t- guys don't like Vegas. Well, short of them just being more successful than your team, you don't really have any very good reasons to hate the Vegas Golden Knights. Maybe you should be more annoyed with your own team for not being more successful. That is certainly, as a Leaf fan, where I am directing my irritation is at my own franchise. But if I'm a player in the NHL and I have another good market that's making us money, that's spending money on players instead of penny pinching, that is successful every year and trying to go deep into the playoffs... I got nothing but good things to say about having them in the league unless I'm a complete dullard. Maybe they just beat me too many times in the playoffs. Maybe that's why I'm upset. Maybe I'm not capable of doing math. That's why I'm upset. Maybe Timo Meyer's just full of shit. I don't know. But it is ridiculous to me that any NHL player would be upset at the Vegas Golden Knights, and taking this much pleasure in the fact that they won't be going deep in the playoffs this year. Like I said, maybe Colorado. They've met in the playoffs a couple times. It hasn't gone well for Colorado. I get it if you have a direct rivalry. But just as players across the league, you should be thrilled with how things have gone in Vegas to have that ownership in there, to have that market in there, all these sorts of things. It is the height of ridiculousness to be screw Vegas as a player, as a fan. I get it. Cause yeah, kind of screw Vegas. I, I get that. They're having a lot of success that my team is not yet having may never have in my lifetime. We'll see. I will wind this one down here. Just a couple of quick notes there that I wanted to, to get off my chest that I was pretty sure wasn't going to get to with Vanessa. Obviously we didn't get to with Hoff and uh, didn't want them to go stale by Sunday. Uh, whenever we sit down again. So thought we would get that out. And just a little something extra for you guys. Don't forget Michael Barclay's book, Hearts on Fire, Six Years That Changed Canadian Music, 2000 to 2005, is available now. If you are looking to pick that up, the links are in the show notes on your podcast app or at tallcanaudio.com. If you buy it through our link, it will cost you the same as it was always going to cost, but Amazon will kick a little money back our way. And, and we would appreciate that as well. Uh, So like I said, Vanessa Sanchez is coming up on Thursday morning on episode 961. So look forward to that. 
Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Talking Audio. Give us a follow. Let us know what you think about these episodes. We love to hear from you guys. Uh, and until next time, my name is Matt Robinson, and we will catch you all later. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at TallCanAudio.com or by searching TallCan Audio on your favorite podcast app. Hi.